the individual that I'm speaking to today in this LinkedIn Live is somewhat of a legend, particularly in the Middle East when it comes to product management. This individual has been the director of products for For Sale International, the director of products for Stars Play, and you'll hear him talk in the first part of the interview, interview about some amazing achievements that he achieved there. And he's been the commercial product head for Atisalat. You can tell why he's a legend in the Middle East. Peter Dennehy is well known as somebody who is, who is opinionated. He's got good reason to be opinionated with the experience that he's got. He is tactful and diplomatic and extends what he calls compassionate leadership to the people who work in his teams. And I get a strong sense of conviction that that's very close to his core values. And he's somebody who is able, because of the 20 years of experience in product management that he has got, talk about the evolution of methodologies and how they've benefited businesses and how businesses should embrace what product management is all about for commercial benefit. I sincerely hope that you enjoy this interview with somebody who is somewhat iconic when it comes to product management and how important that's become over the last two decades to so many businesses. I certainly interviewed Pete with a degree of passion. I wanted to ask him probing questions and I wanted to know what he was all about. So you'll hear that in the conversation that we have. It was a fantastic interview. Here it is. I hope that you enjoy it. Pete, welcome to your Showcase Candidate Profile. I'm really looking forward to extending questions to you today to try and set the stage for exactly what you've done in your career, the values that you've got in terms of your sense of purpose and the way that you lead from the front, and also obviously talking a little bit about what the next chapter of your career might look like. So let's take it from the top, Pete. What have your key achievements been? I think, Chris, I've worked in digital software um, products for many, many years. My biggest um, achievements have been delivering a million subscribers for Stars Play, which is Netflix's biggest competitor here in the Middle East, and actually now Stars Play much bigger than Netflix. That, you know, that one million subscribers by building great products, by managing and holding on to those customers, so acquiring them, retaining them, but equally having them, you know, pay their subscription fee on a monthly basis. That's a big subscriber. Secondly, uh, delivering a million subscribers for Etisalad, the region's biggest telco operating in 16 countries. Not the easiest thing to, to roll out a telco in this region, Chris, but holding on to those million subscribers and delivering 4K TV, the first in the world, and Etisalad, as a big shout out to them, the second fastest broadband only after Singapore in the world. These have been the two big achievements in my last 10 years, but probably worth noting is my last firm, for sale, based in Kuwait, developing offices in Egypt. Uh, you know, less of a of a of a shiny business, so to speak, but classifies app business a high volume, low ticket business, but really, really important to get that flow. So, competing with your Gumtrees, your Craigslist, your Dumb Deals in Europe, um, a very, very vibrant business, and an Arab first approach to that business. So, we didn't just take a Californian style app. You know, and then Arabize it. No, no, we developed first from an Arab mindset. So, uh, and that, that's key to working in this region and building digital products. Yeah, something that you just mentioned, Pete, that I think is agnostic and vital to any subscription-based organization, service, app, whatever it might be, is driving that access to market. A million subscribers is huge. What was the journey like to achieving that? 
Well, the thing I always say, Chris, is not all subscribers are born equal. So they come in different ways. So we can celebrate the million subscribers, absolutely. But they come via telcos, they come direct, they come via referral. And they all sit at different pain points, not pain, pain points to us, which is, which is vital. So we manage them in different ways, whether that's direct billing. So, but the acquisition target for a product team. So there are many, many great product teams out there who build beautiful, lovely looking, great flowing products. But the key after all that is all that is done rather is to have them retained and happy and referring. Otherwise, their they, their relationship with us as a company is very brief. They give a big thumbs up, but they disappear, and consequently, then the business is not rewarded. So, you know, design is is, is vital here in terms of you know businesses now who work in the digital sphere. The standard of what is acceptable to users is so so high. And you know, people and consumers rather look to your Ubers, your Kareems, your Netflix, your Stars Play, and that's the standard for all businesses, regardless of the vertical. Mm. There's someone that I would look at as a, a, a masterful level of product development, Pete. What's your position on you know how compelling the product has to be in order to achieve that subscriber retention type posture? Well, the customers will tell you because they, they'll walk and uh, there are so many monitoring softwares now but the software you know monitoring software is only as good as the human user of that information so data points are collected right across the product journey but you need to have amazing product managers who can surface that information but prettily then use it so many product managers for example will celebrate the big features designers will talk about the big features but sometimes it's the tiny broken links the tiny broken points the payment gateways, the, uh, the API information, all that kind of more technical stuff, they're vitally important. So ironically, um, you'll have a roadmap created by great, great product managers and great product leaders, but equally you need to heed or pay attention to some of the more mundane aspects. Uh, so a product roadmap is a great, you know, a great design document for wonderful features. Uh, also bug bashing is a big part of software development. And then, of course, thirdly, as somebody who has an eye on the data which exposes the realities of what your customers love, do not love, and maybe need more of. And uh, as a product leader, I try to give each of the product managers that uh, depth or, or, or breadth, rather, of uh, responsibility. What makes a good product manager? Uh, passionate about the consumer, uh, passionate about the product, uh, relentless in developing and delivering a product that stands up all the time, that works for the consumer and equally is something that they refer on. There's no greater compliment to a product manager than a customer who loves your product so much that he refers it on. And that is the essence of what we do in product management. I, I get the feeling, Pete, that you've always distinctly enjoyed the commercial element of product management, not just the sand pit of playing and developing cool stuff. Would that be true? Absolutely. Um, that's what sets me apart, Chris. Um, as a director of product, um, my north star, to, to use that overused expression, is, the, is a commercial reality. Um, paying subscribers, average revenue per customer, returning customers, but the effect on the financial health of the business determines what we do as a business, uh, as, as a product team rather, um, it's vitally important. That doesn't mean I don't pay heed and homage to great product techniques wonderful uh, development systems or processes within a business but the reality is from a product perspective it has to have a positive commercial 
uh, ramification of the business, be that subscribers as a number, leaving aside revenue, or a direct revenue impact. But that's critical for me, and that's what makes me get up in the morning and, and passionate about de developing a great product. Considering how digital many sectors are, or their dependence on uh, the digital arena, do you think that a career route up through product management and the exposure to the commercial realities that you've mentioned is a good route towards the C-suite. Oh, absolutely. Um, product management is probably, as a discipline, in its infancy still. I mean, I wouldn't like to put a date, but it's, it's 20 years in and around, and now it has more of a, a top-line noise, to use that expression. Um, so there haven't been heretofore many examples of you know, a, a clean route into C-suite management from the product sphere, but now you're seeing chief product officers becoming chief operating officers and or CEOs. And that's a great sign of success within the product discipline. And that's where I'd like to take my career, Chris. Okay. What makes you unique, Pete? Um, I think my personality-led management style, um, you know, I'm very much um, a character that believes that on the ground, on the shop floor management style is worthwhile. Um, I have wonderful compassion for the people that work within my teams. Um, despite all the digitization in the world, we're still human beings and there's still a real passion to my management style and I hope that comes across. I've seen it with people I hire. I hire well, Chris, I trust well, but that, and then there's a great responsibility handed over, but equally then I expect great outcomes, not just great inputs. And do you think that that trust, that autonomy that you afford to people that follow you is part of what? Uh, expedites the outcome, part of what allows them to stretch their wings and be as creative, as intuitive, as passionate as they want to be at that point in their career. Absolutely. Chris, there's one thing I love in management is I like to not be the most intelligent person in the room. I love to employ technical experts. I love to employ and work with teams who are more passionate about product and consumers and particularly niche consumers and, and find problems that I haven't yet spotted myself and then exploit those problems and bring uh, successful uh, solutions for our customers. Um, I'm superbly passionate about developing people and their careers. Um, as I said before, I love, I love the aspect of recruitment and hiring well, but then trusting well and then handing over that autonomy. It's, uh, it's the lifeblood of everything I do in business. Yeah, absolutely. But if you were a product, what would it say on the team? All right, I'll start with relentless. Um, probably a more unusual expression to use, but I'm absolutely relentless about delivering for the customer, about building great product, about employing great people, holding on to great people, and of course then the commercial realities. Passionate, for sure, there's one thing that comes across in my management style, Chris, which is a real passion for, for my everyday, I give every day everything, and that's the way I am as a person. But then thirdly, Chris, compassionate. At the end of the day, we're human beings. We're, you know, we're here to deliver for the business, but also we share a piece of carpet together every day, or digital carpet, so to speak. So consequently, there's a real desire and a need from myself to be a compassionate leader, and also that's the style I uh, evoked with, uh, with my teams. Let me ask you a question, Pete, around how much emphasis you put on competence. I get the feeling, whenever I've spoken to you, that you put maybe not a lot of pressure, but you set a high benchmark for yourself in terms of your own competence. Does that also cascade into the teams that you've led, into the culture that you like to create in teams? So talk to me about competence and what it means to you and what it means to the teams that you lead. 
Sure, Chris. I mean, competence, you know, there's IQ and EQ. You know, I'm a great believer in emotionally intelligent people. People can be trained in technical aspects, of course they can, but I can spot. I have a real nose for a great product manager. I have a real innate feeling for a wonderful designer. And of course, as with all disciplines, there are technical response, or technical qualities to each job, but they're teachable. Um, all of us are teachable. So I place a great emphasis on EQ, um, which doesn't leave aside IQ, but of course, the balance probably from my perspective is probably slighted towards EQ rather than IQ. You know, if I worked on the technical side of life, perhaps that would be different. But product managers, the, the core competence of a product manager is to understand a consumer. And that's a human interaction. That's not a technical understanding. Um, so, yes, that's my view on the world, Chris. What's your interpretation of the value that you personally bring to a tech business, Pete? Um, I represent the customer. I represent and hold on to great product theory and knowledge. Um, technologists are terrific people to work with, absolutely, but, and they see the world in one way. So from, a, from a, a consumer perspective, there needs to be a customer champion within that business, and ever-growing needs to be somebody who constantly champions the product as a product-led organization. Um, I don't want to be the 101st developer or, or another technical leader. There's no value to that from me, and there are better technical specialists out there than me, for sure. So there's a lovely harmony when I join a technical business, or particularly app development, web development, or other digital business, that I represent the customer first, and also product, uh, a product champion. Sure. You speak about the customer a lot. It's clearly part of the nucleus of your belief system professionally. I would imagine that in a lot of the projects that you've been involved with, pouring over market research, data, intelligence about the target market for whatever product, the business that you've been employed at is sending into the market has probably been something that you've enjoyed quite a lot. Of course. I mean, there is so much information available about customers and we're so lucky to work in a digital business and digital sphere, but you have to make sense of that data, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and the funneling, the cultivation of that data is vital and then making sense, but equally then making strong decisions based on it. However, I would say this, sometimes a leap of faith is required by leaders and that, and that requires, Chris, that senior leaders like myself take a chance because the great thing about digital businesses is you can be wrong or, as we've often experienced, you push something out to market, it goes to market and the adoption rates are far less than you would have thought, but there's no problem with that. We're not developing Mars bars and it's, you, it's very hard to recall Mars bars in the market, but it's a lot easier to push patches to product, to recall, to use test marketing. You know, that's the wonderful thing about the digitalized world we live in, but we need to use it more um, and not be afraid to push. One of the things about me, Chris, is I push product to market very, very fast. Uh, you know, to big up myself, so to speak, I'm probably one of the fastest product directors when it comes to pushing product to market. And that doesn't mean we push buggy product or it falls over or it crashes, but we're not afraid for it to go to market and, and to float around the market for a while and for us to use the information of the early adopters to determine further decisions. I get the feeling that you probably quite enjoy that, that organic part of the ride where once the jump off point has happened, a product has been launched, that, okay, let's watch, let's see what happens. What do we need to do to respond to the way the market's receiving this? Chris, there is nothing I enjoy more 
I'm a go-to-market specialist. I love pushing product to market. I love the interactions with the customers. I love the feedback loop at the very beginning, particularly, and it's all a numbers game. So we can sit around in a boardroom discussing how much the team loves a product, but the reality is we're all working in a tech firm. We all have the latest technology. We're all sitting in a, an incubator, so to speak. The reality is when digital products go to market, we don't know what devices necessarily they'll be watched on, on what speeds, in what ecosystems, and with what uh, economic background our customers will come from. So consequently, we learn so much. And then that information loop that flows back in, infers or decides or allows us to decide rather further decisions on the product. You can be wrong or you can be less than successful in a digital world and make it up later on, but you need that product to go to market in order to determine that. Yeah. Pete, to change tack a little bit sure. and ask you some more personal questions, how much does a job title mean to you? Chris, a job title means almost nothing to me, to be honest with you, because um, the reality is from my perspective, it's to whom you report and you know from my perspective uh, having a very strong line to the CEO uh, or the approvals of the board to get product roadmaps approved to push out product that's vital uh, but secondly as a product head my sideways relationship on a daily basis is to the head of technology or the chief technology officer and I need a working a very strong shared goals shared vision and working relationship with him or her um, but of course, you know, job titles mean almost nothing. It's all contextual, you know. More about the purpose. Absolutely. The purpose, uh, what's expected, the team, the management. You know, we can argue about titles all day, but the reality is it, it, it's, it's out of context. It means nothing. The things that you speak about really fluently, Pete, when it comes to getting everyone on the same page, it's easy for people to think that that's a... Uh, a process, something that's done once and I think you and I probably both share a recognition that it's an iterative process you know sometimes they're tough decisions that sometimes they're tough conversations to have what's your attitude and your frame of mind when you know the moments arrived where one of those conversations needs to be had either with a peer or a superior or one of the team what's your attitude towards having to have those tough conversations Sure. I mean, it's business. It has to be done. Um, but getting people on the same page, Chris, and, and keeping people on the same page is an ongoing basis. So like you said there, it's not something that happens on the 1st of, of January and then you review it on the 31st of December. It's an ongoing basis. You, you can spot where people become decoupled from your vision. Yeah. There are early warning signs and that's the point of repair that's required. Um, big decisions big conversations are part of big business and uh, you know i wouldn't be the leader that i am if i wasn't able to do that um, it's something i probably try to manage long before the big conversations are needed but as i said chris the, there are early indicators to people not being on the same page as you not the same vision uh, but as i said and go back to an earlier point I, I love to hire people who are more intelligent than me academically who have more experience in particular technologies who are more developed in terms of business processes. The one aspect of, of, uh, of my leadership is about 20 years under my belt uh, in, in three different parts of the world, Europe, uh, the UK, mainland, and of course then in the Middle East and North Africa. These are very, very different operating territories with very different mindsets, a whole plethora of different cultures, religions, and consumer behaviors. 
Uh, and what I bring there is an understanding, a compassionate approach to understanding them, but also the need to deliver for the business. You've worked in a lot of different places. You've got a lot of geographic exposure, and that obviously means a whole cascade of things underneath different geographies, cultures, languages, market, uh, how receptive different markets are, etc. What would you say are the highlights that you've taken personally from being exposed to a range of different geographies that many people would never get the opportunity to? Sure. It's funny, Chris, because I didn't probably plan out 20 years ago that I would end up in places as remote as Kuwait, Egypt, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, different parts of the Middle East, North Africa, all over mainland Europe and the UK. Um, with those 20 years, I've learned that people are still human beings. They speak different languages, they have different religions, different working hours, but probably the same human goals that all of us do. To, to work hard, provide for their families, get some enjoyment from the work, um, and ultimately get remunerated for it. And that's, that's the basis of business. Um, I have a wonderfully compassionate view uh, of my staff. I hire well, I, I trust well, I empower my staff. And they're not just Harvard business terms that could be learned off and regurgitated. I really believe in that. I, I, as I said to you before, I, I hire well. I spend a lot of time on recruitment. I have an innate nose for great product managers, great designers, great UX researchers, great analysts. And I also have assisted and managed a few head of engineering, not directly, but I also understand what it takes to make a great technologist. Be that Cairo, London, Madrid, Berlin, or Dublin. Um, as I said, I, I didn't plan to to end up in all these places over the last 20 years of my career. But I'm very grateful, um, and it's made me somewhat of a compelling uh, Middle Eastern-based executive now that I have this understanding of, of different peoples and different uh, backgrounds and different uh, territories. And I've heard with my own ears your language abilities as well, <laughs> Peter, so uh, you're definitely somebody that I look at as a veteran of this region and someone that appreciates the fabric and the texture. Sure. Text, yeah. I guess the point on that, Chris, is my Arabic understanding or, or my, my, my knowledge of the pan-Arab world and, and particularly this region, North Africa, the Middle East, understanding the business cultures, the peoples, the, the seasonal aspects to, to work in this region, that's probably the lion's share of being able to succeed and thrive in this region. Mm. Having you know, the ability to speak in Arabic is, is a lovely second, uh, second aspect to, to my uh, regional understanding. Absolutely. Just a Pete, final question. What excites you most about the next stage of your career? Sure. Well, Chris, I've 20 years under my belt at this stage. I've worked and managed product departments for the last 10 years, but I've also worked across finance, human resources, marketing, controlled sizable marketing budgets. I think it's time to move into the C-suite. I've looked, or am looking currently at COO roles. Um, I'd love to combine a product role that has a real commercial aspect to it because that's what gets me up early in the morning. That's what keeps me absolutely wedded to the business. And I'm looking at a lovely three to five year challenge in front of me, particularly here in the region. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being part of the Showcase Candidate Programme. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me.